You're listening to the O'Reilly Radar Podcast. I'm your host, Jen Webb. This week's episode is in support of our newly announced Next Money Radar Summit, which focuses on the fundamental transformation taking place in the finance industry. The event will be held September 9th and 10th in San Francisco and is by invitation only. You can get more information on the summit and request an invitation at O'Reilly.com slash nextmoney. In this episode, I chat with Dele Atanda, founder and CEO of Digitaria, a pioneering startup developing sustainable identity and personal data management solutions. Dele talks about the disruptive state of the financial tech or fintech industry and what he thinks is driving that disruption. I also talk with Mutaj Kubaj, co-founder of Squirrel, a startup providing financial well-being solutions for employees of companies they contract with. Mutaz talks about their platform, accelerator programs, and about the fintech landscape and how he views the big disruptors. First, here's Daylay. Enjoy the show. So taking a broad look at the financial tech space, there seems to be an explosion of startups disaggregating banks in myriad ways. Why is now the right time for that to happen? What's happening in the landscape? So I think um, there's a few things that's happening across finance, the financial landscape generally. There's a significant increase in complexity. And in that complexity, there's a much more detailed and rich ecosystem. And banks, it's difficult for them to be able to tackle all the end-to-end elements efficiently. So it's interesting because it's almost representative of the, it's, it's lagging the evolution of the web, but it mirrors it in very many ways because I think you know, initially you had these monolithic sort of applications or browsers or services that tried to do lots of things. And then we moved into the mobile area where things became much more siloed and application centric, where you did one thing particularly well. And that's inevitably going to happen in the fintech space. I think, you know, they say that the currency of the industrial era was paper and the currency of the knowledge era is the electron. And money is primarily electronic now. So it's inevitable that there's going to become this confluence between the web and finance in that regards. And I think, of course, because of security regulatory issues and the cultural dimension of money, there's been a lag in resistance. But that now that the web has reached a level of maturity that it can address those issues, I think that's inevitable. And what would you say are the biggest disruptors in this space and what's driving the disruption? So um, I think Bitcoin is something that everyone has to pay attention to. I think Bitcoin is as radical a change to the fintech landscape as money itself in from bartering and trading. Um, so from promissory notes to Bitcoins effectively is the state of affair. But I think one of the interesting um, drivers behind Bitcoin is this desire for decentralization. And this is one thing that the web can enable. It hasn't necessarily enabled it um, so much to date, because in many senses, you can say that it's still centralized in big corporations. But the potential for decentralization is there. And I think this is one of the things that Bitcoin, this is what's truly disruptive about Bitcoin. And it's not just disruptive to fintech, because I think blockchain, aside from Bitcoin, enables a decentralized infrastructure that can be replicated across lots of different areas. So I think that's something that's uh, a massive disruptor um, in the space, um, the scale of which we're only just scratching the surface of. Um, The other mobile obviously is disrupting the entire sort of 
cultural technical landscape. Um, I think it's particularly relevant in fintech from payments perspective. Um, mobile payments, I think, are going to be really disruptive. And and the thing that's interesting about mobile payments, I think, what's the prompt? What mobile payment has to achieve is frictionlessness, and it's this frictionlessness that will become a driver for I see many other changes within the fintech space because it can be quite friction filled, you know, fintech or the the consumer experience with banks and with money in the world today. So. This ability to deliver a frictionless experience that Apple Pay, for example, has got very, very close to mastering,、um, I think, is going to drive a whole new wave of innovations、um, within the fintech space. And what sort of other potential disruption possibilities do you see from these emerging technologies that are coming out? Maybe you know things that maybe are outside the scope of, of fintech, even, but like blockchain、uh, is is looking to mitigate anything with a middleman. Yeah, so disintermediation. I think smart contracts、um, is really an interesting space, which is an extension. That's, you know, the Ethereum project. I think is a great sort of. It's highly ambitious, but you know whether they crack it immediately or not is kind of irrelevant. That's the direction in which things are going invariably. So you can see that's going to be a massive changer. I think the other massive change is going to come from personal agency around data. So personal data again. You know, it's all about data now, and it's all about the flow of data. And in many senses, this has been a one-way exercise, kind of like Web 1.0 in a sense,、uh, to to use the term coin. Yeah. <laughs>、um, but yeah, kind of like that one-way flow of data initially moving towards this two-way flow. But now the next wave is really about consumer-controlled data flows, and this idea of personal agency, this idea of consumers or citizens being able to Dictate who their data goes to, the terms of which their data is traded, the terms under which their data is used. I think is going to fundamentally redress the the whole sort of economic landscape in many regards. We're talking about a very transformational, different kind of model in that regard. So I think that's、um, something that's the fintech space is starting to wake up to.、Um, and I think that again, when you look at the sort of big trends, that's why it's driving this. I mean, big data is an obvious one, but Within fintech and with banks, particularly, you have to look at that from a different perspective because banks have massive first-party data. So you talk to the average banker about opportunities around data, like I got the data, I got all the data, and that's true. They've got a very highly valuable, other than medical data, I'd say financial data is probably the most valuable data that we have as generally as consumers. But what's what the interesting thing that's happening that big data sort of alludes to, but it's not. Totally addressing that is this layering of data. So it's really being able to contextualize data by adding different layers on top of it. So it's one thing to have all your financial data, but if you can see your social behavior and how that impacts your financial data, then that's a much richer picture that you start to have. So I think this is another massive trend that's going to start to come. It's kind of smart data in in many senses, more than just big data in that regards. And I think that's going to change the industry dramatically too. Well, that's interesting. So you founded a startup called Digitaria,、mm-hmm. and could you talk to me a little bit about what the company does and what problems you're aiming to solve? So we're prob- primarily focused around this、uh, this space of personal data management. So there's a a new class of applications called personal information management systems, which is a bit of a man- mouthful, but essentially. 
they're responsible for giving people tools whereby which they can control how their data is used, use it as a tool to extract personal benefits themselves. So on one hand, we build application tools around this. Um, it's something that we feel is a massive social cultural issue. Um, this idea of sovereignty, self-sovereignty, this idea of ownership of our personal data, that it's an asset class, that it is property like any other form of property that we should be able to exhibit rights over. I think there's this social political debate happening around that and we formed an NGO to participate in that debate. But the more interesting thing is the commercial um, utilities that start to come from that. So, for, so we build tools, primarily with Digitaria, to enable that. Um, an example with one is that we have an application called Quantifile, which is essentially enabling people to take personal fitness data, so exercise and diet data, and basically use that to get insights about how to improve their well-being and then also use it to provide elements of that data to insurance companies and other um, companies that are interested in that space to give them discounts or rebates or uh, products and services that encourage their well-being and reward them for their well-being effectively. Oh, that's interesting. And so let's close the conversation with a little bit of a crystal ball question. We won't hold you to it. <laughs> but when you look at the financial landscape 10 to 15 years out, how do you see it evolving? Um, so I think, you know, as I said at the beginning, I think we're, th this movement towards the electron as currency will become complete. I mean, and I think the interesting place is the emerging markets. If you look at countries that have hyperinflation or mass where people have to carry massive wads of cash around to be able to do transactions, clearly that's an extremely inefficient model. So I think the, the, the paper as a form of currency is going to disappear within the next 15 years and purely electric currencies. I think Japan already looked at that as a model and it's something that they're pursuing. Um, so I think that's going to have dramatic impacts on it. I think this idea around personal agency around data is going to drive a lot more automation and um, with smart contracts, I think there's going to be an increased amount of disintermediation and um, an increased amount of automation. I think it's Bill Gates who said that he can't see a future without banking services, but we don't need banks to deliver banking services effectively. So I think there's going to be a lot of fragmentation there. I think the, the, that by the same token, I think there will be an increased need for high-touch services. So I think as opposed to personalization and relevance and targeting, we're going to see a rise of personal services. And I think this is where the traditional brands really have a lot of equity that they can really sort of bring to the fore as we go forward. I think there's going to be a lot more, it's going to be a much more multipolar world as well. So I think the dominance of the dollar is going to wane. I think the rise of Asia as an, and China as an economic hub will, will, will continue and become quite, within the next 15 years, will become quite edified. But that's not to say that it will necessarily replace the states, but it will become an alternative. And I think you also have to look at Africa, Latin America as, as emerging to have their own sort of hubs in some sort of context to, and as, as, as Europe has do, does as well. So I think a much more multipolar world um, uh, lays ahead in the future. And, and I also think that we, it, we, there are two opposite dynamics. One is more towards a kind of regional framework where we start to operate on a more regional basis and then a kind of devolution at a more grassroots level. So we start to kind of probably 
collate ourselves around cities and urban areas as, and I think the nation's model starts to become a more co a layer within the dimension of social organization um, that's not as dominant as it was before because there are other layers that are equally important also. That's interesting. Well, thank you very much for talking with me today. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Now, here's Squirrel co-founder Mutaj Kubash talking about financial well-being and how he views the disruption in the fintech landscape. You co-founded a company called Squirrel that offers a well-being solution to employees of companies that contract with you. Talk a little bit about how Squirrel works and what kinds of tools you offer. So Squirrel's a financial well-being platform that helps people regain control of their finances. What we found is that people who may be on a low disposable income might not have the ability or the capacity to manage their finances. What they end up doing is they turn to extortionate credit in either the payday loan or overdraft markets, which only serve to make matters worse. So what Squirrel does is it provides a platform for people to take control of those finances by helping them budget, save, as well as manage their bills directly from payroll. And this is in direct response to us sitting down with users who are in financial distress or who needed additional financial control and answering questions that they had with regards to what type of services we could provide to ma make managing their finances easier. One of the things was, as an example, why can't you save your money? Or why, why do you have difficulty saving your money? The resonating response was, it's because I have access to my cash. Once you realize how simple that is in terms of, um, I guess, the reason for the problem with not being able to save money, we said, once we realized that that was the issue, we said, well, how about we help people save money before they have access to their cash directly from their payroll? So it's done out of sight, out of mind, as well as done automatically in the lead up to when they actually need that money. An example of that is somebody saving up for Christmas, which could be, say, 10 months away. If they wanted to save 500 pounds or dollars for Christmas, we'd set aside 50 pounds or $50 every month for the next 10 months until Christmas and then release that money to them directly. So now they have the peace of mind of knowing that their saving goals are more achievable because those savings are being set aside before they even have access to their money. And the other one is, well, what we've seen is people not being able to make it to the end of the month on their salary because they get paid in monthly payments. And it's a lump sum that, people, that makes people feel rich on payday. And people come to us and said, save me from myself. I get paid at the beginning of the month and I spend it all in the first couple of weeks, which means that I'm skint for the, or I just don't have money in my bank account for the last couple of weeks. So we said, well, how about instead of you receiving a lump sum amount, you ration that money into manageable payments. So you're effectively giving yourself an allowance. You have control over every piece of this and you've given yourself an allowance to say, I want you to split this up into four equal payments until the end of the month. So the peace of mind comes from knowing that you're going to be budgeting for a week as opposed to a month as well as knowing that money is going to keep on coming through every week on a recurring basis. The last part of our value offering has to do with people either putting too much trust in their service providers or not knowing there are better deals out there across their bills or their targeted spends. And for them, we've said, well, how about we take that role on for you in terms of finding out what is best for you across your bills? So you bring your bills up onto Squirrel's platform, get them paid out of an account that we give you, and then once you pay them out of that account, we'll start looking for the best providers across each of your bills to make sure that we optimize your cost of living or bring down your cost of living. So what we're doing is optimizing your cost of living, increasing your ability to achieve your savings goals, as well as making your disposable income, just making it easier for you to handle, easier for you to manage. We're making you better with your money. And the goal here is to make you more financially resilient so you don't have to tap into any form of credit that could actually make you worse off. 
So how is Squirrel different than other finance planning solutions? What kinds of problems did you see in the landscape that led you to create the company? Mm -hmm. So Squirrel's different because, number one, it's tied directly to, to the employer. We're using the employer, we're using employers as a platform, as a distribution channel to bring this service to employees. And employers suffer a major cost or a tangible cost tied to financial distress that the workplace may have, whether it's lower productivity, higher absenteeism, higher potential for fraud and theft, lower morale tied to higher turnover as well. Barclays research shows that that comes out to around 4% of a company's bottom line. So for us, what's different is bringing employers who have a vested interest in our success on board as part of that solution. And what that does is that gives that employer a way to push a solution that does right by their employees as well as address the tangible cost of financial distress. So we've got a natural champion. The other part is we also have employers putting us in front of a mass number of employees, which means that we can now leverage that power, the, the demand power of that group of employees to bring them even better deals, to bring them even better ways to tap into the resources or their basic needs, whether it's across their utility bills, their mortgages, or that vacation that they wanted to purchase that they never thought they had the ability to. So for us, that's number one. Number two is also doing this in a way where it's tied or integrated to payroll. That increases the effectiveness of our ability to provide our service because we're tapping into the source of income before somebody has, has, has had access to their money. So by doing that, we're effectively allowing people to manage their money even before they get paid. So it's, it's a preemptive strike at financial distress, if, if that makes sense. <laughs> it does. That's interesting. So Squirrel has been part of a couple mm. different accelerator programs. Mm. First, it was the Barclays Techstars program, mm. and now you're part of Wera. Mm -hmm. How would you describe the accelerator experience and what kind of advice would you offer to startups who are considering a program? So the accelerator experience is phenomenal for any startup at any stage. Um, it's, it's got to do with packing, you could say the first one was packing about one to two years worth of experience into three months. It's, a, it's, a, it's akin to drinking water through a fire hose. And then the Techstars, et cetera, is mainly focused on mentor. Mentorship is a major part of its value proposition for any startup, where we had to meet about 100 mentors in the span of about three weeks. And each of these mentors took the time to question our very existence, breaking down each part of our value proposition, making sure that we were on top of why we were around, why we were relevant, what our product brought to people, and how we can make that product more effective, as well as just uh, being able to tap into insights as to how we should go to market and how to make sure that we increase the probability of success of our startup. So what the Accelerator provided is it provided the channel for us to see through what we started out with as a product to a vision by taking the insights from those mentors, applying those insights to our value proposition, then also working on the messaging of our value proposition to make sure that we could excite each and every stakeholder about what we were building. So for us, that was the value that we got from the Techstars Accelerator and it being a fintech accelerator uh, that was uh, to set up by Barclays meant that we would be surrounded, uh, that we'd be part of a collaborative environment that brought together 12 fintech startups that um, would provide an invaluable resource for a company in its early stages, whether it was a network, whether it was the insight, whether it was know-how, whether it was tapping into people on the entrepreneurial ecosystem who already knew how to get things done. So for us, it was extremely invaluable on the Barclays Techstars side. With regards to our transition to the Wire Unlimited program, which is an accelerator that's run by Telefonica, for us, that program is mainly focused on social impact. 
And for us, what we're doing is we want to bring financial freedom or financial resilience to 20 million employees in the UK that, that earn inside of 25,000 pounds a year. So for us, it's having an accelerator, collaborative presence that's there to, that's extremely well aligned with what we're trying to build, with the service that we're trying to provide for a community that's in need of that service, that's invaluable for us, whether it's introduction to the right networks or pushing traction through Telefonica as well as Telefonica's network. Those are extremely valuable for us, especially as we go through the process of uh, getting to product market fit. So what we're doing is taking this time right now with, with Telefonica's assistance, with Wire's assistance, to make sure that we're well positioned to scale with the market to address the needs of our users in the most effective way possible. And having that platform, having the accelerator platform, which is there to provide, um, I guess, the right tools, the right insights, the right platform to do that is something that every startup should look for. But my advice to startups that are looking at accelerator programs is that you've got to find the right accelerator for you. And you've got to make a, a beeline to the right resources within that accelerator that are going to increase your probability of success. So for us, as a fintech firm, um, as a fintech firm in the well-being space, what attracted us about the Barclays Techstars Accelerator was a tie into their financial well-being resources. They have a staggering amount of resources that have already been put towards researching financial well-being, as well as looking at the behavioral insights behind the applications from a financial well-being standpoint, making them sticky for a community that needs them. We were able to leverage that to the max. And on the Wira Unlimited uh, program side, it was more so tapping into a community that was focused on social impact, which put us in front of investors or stakeholders that were tied to that main goal. So for startups out there, the advice is find, out, find the right accelerator for you, find out what resources you, will, you would ideally like to leverage, and find out how you can tap into those resources as soon as possible, as of day one, um, within that accelerator. Interesting. So shifting gears here just a little bit, you have a deep background in finance. And I'm curious to know how you would describe the finance space right now and what kinds of disruptors are gathering your attention. So the finance space now is seeing a, I guess, a shift. Somebody, somebody called it its Uber moment, where uh, there's a realization that you have there's a realization that financial institutions out there may be may not be as quick to come up with the right solutions in as effective a manner for a a wanting community um and that what entrepreneurs do is they bridge that gap between the rails that a financial institution can provide and the services that an end user would want so it, it's it's uh knowing that there may be issues within financial institutions tied to i guess what people have called innovating by committee or innovating by making sure that they try to get to a point of false certainty by getting every expert under the sun to weigh in on a particular product before it's pushed to market. And also the need to mitigate as many risks as possible because there's a fear of failure within those institutions that entrepreneurs can take advantage of. We learn from failure. We take failure as a learning opportunity. So it's, it's the whole mantra of fail fast, fail often. <laughs> just, just making sure that you learn from mistakes and making sure that you can take advantage of the lessons that you gain from those mistakes that, that set us apart from larger institutions which may not be able to do that. And having been, in corporate, uh, having been in corporate for about 13 years, I've seen some of those processes take place internally where it's either unfortunate element of bureaucracy or just getting those experts involved takes a lot of time in terms of getting a product to market. 
and may actually dilute the value proposition that you're trying to bring to market because every expert has had their say in what that value proposition should look like. So in terms of disruption, what's been interesting is seeing what's happened with the peer-to-peer space, the transfer space, the international transfer space, the personal financial management space. And it's, it's seeing what um, could eventually become what some people call as the bank of me, where uh, people may get to the point where they're aggregating the best providers across each of the services that a bank can provide, but may not be providing the most effective or efficient manner. And that's what's really exciting to see. It's seeing the likes of TransferWise or Funding Circle, as well as World Remit, uh, come into that space of a financial technology unicorn and, and giving us that element of, uh, or giving us that look into, well, this is what the future can hold for the financial landscape. It's really exciting to see where that's progressing as well as just, just to be a part of it. London's amazing, an amazing place to be for a fintech company as well. It's um, just in terms of being able to tap into an amazing wealth of talent, being so close to a number of global headquarters uh, for some of the world's largest and most, uh, some of the world's largest global banks, as well as being part of a, um, an ecosystem that drives investors to make investments on the back of a very friendly investment system. Um, it's known as the SEIS and EIS schemes. I won't go into the details, but trust me, they're an advantage for investors who want to get involved in the space and take a bet on founders who are looking to change that landscape. Right. So I'd like to close our conversation today with a, a broad question. Mm -hmm. What people and projects are you following? What kinds of things are you finding personally intriguing and exciting these days? The people I'm following are the people at the forefront of shifting the way that you know, business used to get done. So it's, you talk about um, Steve Blank, you talk about Eric Rice, you talk about Paul Graham, you talk about people who are having a significant effect on the status quo in terms of, well, there's a new way to set up a business. There, there are new fundamentals to work with. There are new guidelines to work with. There's the ability to test whether or not a product can be brought to market in a much faster way, in a much more effective, a much more efficient way, which means that entrepreneurs are starting to get the edge. They're starting to get a leg up in terms of being able to bring something to market that in, in a way that's more effective, in a way that's more efficient, in a way that's more tested and more validated. So I, I like to see how we were able to embed the principles that they've, that they've come up with within the way that Squirrel works and within the way that I evaluate any other entrepreneurial activity out there. My other interests lie with seeing, uh, I guess, projects, innovative projects that have solved certain pain points that are specific to me. One of my favorite apps is City Mapper, as an example. Um, with what they've done from setting up a very, very simple geolocation-based app that's it's designed to show you where you're going to building that out to a product that's integrated with every transportation system out there, and more recently, Uber. Um, has been absolutely phenomenal. It shows how fast they're able to yes, align themselves or keep attuned to what the market's needs are and how, I, how fast they are to adapt to the market's needs. I'd love to emulate that with what I'm building. Well, excellent. Thank you very much for talking with me today. Thank you very much to both yourself and O'Reilly for giving me this opportunity. Absolutely. Thank you for joining us. If you like the show, you can subscribe to the O'Reilly Radar podcast through iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, or SoundCloud so you never miss an episode. Mm -hmm.